This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with... Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, who's coming to us live from Phoenix, Arizona, where he's out there for the Arizona Fall League, which at this time of year is what we like to talk about on the podcast. We are about midway through the Fall League schedule. Sam is down there for his two-week stint. He just got there, so he hasn't seen too much yet, but he's already got a couple things we want to talk about here. Jim hasn't been down there for a couple weeks, but he's been following along from afar. We'll talk Fall League. We'll talk to a Fall Leaguer. Cubs masher Matt Mervis going to join us on the podcast today and we'll take a look at some prospects and rookies in the World Series which uh, I guess that's happening later this week we've got a little gap four-day gap before the World Series starts which we are helping fill the void with Arizona Fall League coverage we're going to wrap up as we always do by answering a question from the mailbag Uh, let's get right into the Fall League I mentioned that we're kind of filling this four-day void of no baseball prior to the start of the world series mentioned last week all arizona fall league games are now being streamed uh you can go to mlb.com slash afl or mlb fallball those will both take you to uh, mlbfallball.com those will both take you to the arizona fall league website where you will see front and center games being broadcast you can either uh, find the full schedule up at the top there's a live streams link there or if you go to the site while a game is being played, typically either 3.30 Eastern or 9.30 Eastern, there will be a game right there on the homepage streaming. Uh, some of the games have play-by-play, others do not, but you can watch a live stream of every Fall League game, minus the ones that are going to be broadcast on MLB Network, uh, which will be the Fall Stars game and the championship game. So keep your eyes peeled for those. We're kind of getting those out there and promoting them more um, while we have this downtime before the World Series starts. Sam, you just got out there. Early impressions? You've, you've seen two, you did a doubleheader your first day out. Anything jump out at you from, from either of those games? Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun getting here and immediately getting to see a Kamar rocker start uh, yesterday, which I covered for the site uh, MLB pipeline, um, two and two thirds innings for him. Uh, he went past the 50 pitch mark for the first time. So it was his longest start so far in the fall league. And I guess technically professionally as well. Um, the longest start in terms of innings, the longest start in terms of pitches, uh, really seemed to struggle, especially early with fastball command, uh, worked with Henry Davis. So it was, it was fun to see two guys who were very high picks recently work together as battery mates, um, he even credited Henry Davis with calming him down early and allowing him time to figure things out. seems like he was really on when he just went to the slider a lot, which he did more in the second inning. Uh, that is every bit the 70-grade pitch that we have it currently on our uh, scouting grades sheet. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was great to see him at, out of the gate. He's obviously maybe the most famous player here in the Fall League, uh, at least in terms of national scope. Uh, to get him game one and then game two, I got to see the top prospect that we have in the fall league in Jordan Walker, Homer to left center um, in, in his game for Salt River. So I got to see him show off his power. That was his first Homer in two weeks. Uh, it hasn't been quite up to the level of the fall league that we maybe would have thought from Jordan Walker. Part of that could just be the end of a long season. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into play. It's still small sample territory, but see him show off that power that we all know he has was really special to see in game two. So checking off a lot of boxes here early. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Kumar being maybe the most famous player there. Jim ranked him the, what, what was it, Jim? Fourth most famous fall leaguer ever? Number fourth most famous fall leaguer of all time behind. Did you see that, Sam? Do you know, do you know who they are? I did. That's kind of what I was referring to, but yeah, no, explicitly. Yes. Yeah. I, I, Michael Jordan and Tim Tebow immediately came to mind and somebody chimed in not to forget about Bryce Harper. 
So that that was the the big three. There was the Mount Rushmore of of fame brought to the Arizona Fall League. I think Kumar might be on that Mount Rushmore right now. Did Harper did Harper make his pro debut out there? Maybe, um, but if if not, it was his his debut season. I, yes, he did. Right. He did. He did not play in the minors in 2010, and he was only out there briefly. He played nine games, but yeah. So um, that had that had a lot to do with it too. The fact that nobody had seen him yet. Yep. Yeah, and then Jordan Walker. You mentioned. Sam that, you know, might have expected, I guess, bigger numbers out of him, but 283, 352 on base, 543 slugging percentage tonight, three home runs, 10 RBIs in 13 games. And I, I think, you know, he's, he plays for Salt River, which is the only ballpark in the Arizona Fall League uh, that has StatCast enabled. And so he, he has, you know, obviously the advantage of having played more games there um, than all of his competitors, but you know, even that being the case and among everyone else on his team, I think he, he registered most of the hardest hit balls as measured by StatCast in the uh, fall league so far this year, hasn't he? Well, I, sh- I just shouldn't say this uh, so far because Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake, Salt River will be hosting no more, no more games uh, because there's a uh, winter holiday festival of some por- some sort taking place there. I think Christmas lights, is that what we heard? Christmas lights? I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, Christmas coming early in in Arizona apparently. <laughs> yeah, I just brought up that data, Jason, that you're talking about. He has the four hardest hit balls this year at Salt River, and he has six of the top eight exit velos. Um, all of it, all of those six being at 110 plus miles per hour. Um, so he was staying the ball. It, it was just it, some of it was resulting in singles. Like of those top four, two were singles, two were outs, including a grounded into double play. Um, you know, the big thing for him as he continues to develop is just continuing to lift the ball and making the most of that raw pop. But yeah, it certainly, it certainly showed up so far. Um, it was just nice to see him get that lift last night and take one out to left center. Yeah. And then as, as far as stat cast goes with Walker, we also saw him show off an arm that, you know, I don't know that we knew exactly what the arm was from the outfield. We had, Scene, we were surprised to find out that he had, what What was it, 10 assists and 30 outfield starts, something like something that. Something like that, and it was even crazier in right field. So Yeah, and uh, we saw him make a throw uh, in a fall league game that was harder than any outfield throw made by uh, a St. Louis Cardinals outfielder in the StatCast era. Um, so, you know, we, we got to see kind of some of the reason behind those that gaudy 10 assists and 30 games number. And then uh, showed off some near elite sprint speed. Did I, I don't know if he ever reached 30 feet per second sprint speed, but he was right up there. I, I saw some numbers, 29 point something. So really showing off uh, a lot of tools out there and a lot to be excited about with Jordan Walker. Uh, this week's players of the week and the Arizona Fall League. Uh, the hitter is Zach Britton of uh, Toronto Blue Jays, and the pitcher was Connor Thomas, who uh, Thomas we talked about last week because Jonathan had just seen him strike out 10, and uh, he came right back out this week and uh, through five innings, gave up two hits, one run earned, uh, no walks, seven strikeouts, 1.53 ERA, 1.08 whip. Uh, in 17 and two-thirds innings, he's walked four and struck out 24. Has not given up a home run in 17 and two-third ball league innings. Um, so he has, he's been really good uh, every time out. Yeah, and I got to see him a little bit last night too, and he carried a perfect game into the fifth inning until finally giving up a double. Um, so it was four and two-thirds perfect innings from him. The, the amazing thing to watch him is just how machine-like it is. I mean, he doesn't really throw much velocity at all. He was topping out at 88, 89 miles an hour last night with his sinker. Uh, even going back to his time at AAA Memphis, where I know the numbers weren't necessarily there, he still put up really solid ground ball rates. Um, but now he's added a, a bit of a cutter that gives him a sharper breaking ball compared to the slider, which is more of a sweeper. Um, he was mixing in those two last night. If anybody's been following Connor Thomas's starts on StatCast, like Jason mentioned, because Salt River games have been available through StatCast. 
it's been confusing his cutter for a slider and his slider for a curveball just because of the velocity bands that are involved in those. His slider's usually lower 80s, cutter's around 85, 86. But guys just couldn't touch the cutter. I mean, they were sitting on it as if it was a sinker, and then it would just move a little bit at the last second and befuddled so many guys last night. Uh, seemed to be the case in his 10-strikeout start last week that you guys talked about with Jonathan. Um, it, was, it was really fun to get to watch him in person and just see, like, hey, you don't need velocity to dominate uh, down here. As much of it as it is a hitter's league, if you can just do something that's a little unique, things that guys haven't seen before, they're going to wave and miss. And, and he has that experience. He has ample AAA experience, so I'm sure that helps him as well. But, yeah, the control was good. The command was good. Um, and, you know, the Cardinals may have something here in Connor Thomas, and he's definitely ending the year on a more optimistic note than he would have if he just finished the year in the International League. Yeah, I think the key is going to be can he continue to miss bats because he didn't miss a lot of, you know, it, it, he's kind of been the same guy going back to when I covered him in the draft at Georgia Tech. And he's a guy who throws a ton of strikes and he doesn't overpower you with velocity and he's got to locate to be successful. And he is striking out more guys. He's still giving up hits in the fall league, although I think just about everybody gives up hits in the fall league except for Joey Wentz. But, you know, he got tagged pretty good in AAA this year. Um you know, had some success. He had better, more success actually in AAA last year. But if that cutter can can help him miss enough bats, you know, maybe he's a back of the rotation starter or something. And you're right, Sam. I mean, I think he's, I mean, he's not <laughs> jumping onto the top 100 prospect list, but I think he's probably boosted his stock maybe as much as any pitcher down there so far, I, I think would be fair to say. I would say so for sure. Uh, it kind of reminds me, and they're very, very different pitchers. But remember Andre Pallante last year? Well, the crazy thing with Pallante was I was at a game at Mesa, and he was putting 98s up on the on the scoreboard radar gun, and I was like, that seems hot. And then Ryan Jensen came in for Mesa and was throwing 96, 98, and I was like, oh, I, I, guess, it's, <laughs> I guess it's not. But you're right. right. Pallante was kind of an eye-opener, and it seems like that whole – what, the Cardinals have four members of their Arizona Fall League contingent last year on their playoff team this year, like on yeah. their playoff roster? I mean, everybody that they sent, at least the initial roster, appeared in the majors in some way this year. It was Gorman, Newt Barr, Yepes, Palante. Brendan Donovan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, like the Cardinals don't send guys here to just make up for innings. They really treat it like a prospect finishing school, which gives you an eye towards Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean... It, again, they're very different pitchers. Connor Thomas is not bumping five extra miles per hour on his fastball by any means. But the development of that cutter and the way he's been using it so much more effectively and doing something different like Pallante did last year uh, has certainly opened my eyes and, and makes me think like, oh, he really could be a rotation candidate much earlier in 2023 than I would have thought. Sam, you said yeah, the Cardinals may have something here, which strikes me as something that, that has been said quite often about over Cardinals and over play. and over and over. Yeah. Cardinals may have something here. Uh, before we move on to the hitter of the week, uh, since we've been talking pitching here, um, someone else that I, I know has impressed both of you guys uh, and quite a different pitcher than Connor Thomas uh, would be Mason Miller. Yeah. I, I caught Mason Miller last night. Um, he went opposite. You were behind, you were behind the dish. I was behind. Uh, how's dish. your hand feel? Does it hurt? Uh, I am currently just, putting it in a bowl of ice like that's all if you can imagine that at home uh i watched uh mason miller last night yeah there it is um but yeah i mean like you were saying very different picture in that he was sitting 98 99 he topped out at 101 um he hit 100 a few times but topped out at 101 um which was incredible to see uh he made jordan walker look silly at one point i mean the at bat before jordan walker's homer uh he was, again, pumping 98, 99, and then spun an 85-mile-an-hour slider down in a way that Walker was clearly just sitting heat and then could only wave at. Um, he, he definitely did not look like you know a plus hitter in that at-bat, and that's all due credit to Mason Miller. Um, so three scoreless innings from him last night. I know in our write-up that Jonathan did because he has the A system, You know, the question with him is what do you do with him? Do you keep him as a starter? Do you just move him into relief and make him dominate like that? I mean, he could – probably be in the majors very quickly next year if you just allowed him to touch 101 in, in one in one inning or two innings um but it was good to see that lengthen out a little bit to three uh you know of course i want to see it go into the fourth and fifth 
but yeah, all of a sudden when you're sitting there and you can hear the pop of the mitt and you look up and you see one on one, that was really special to witness last night. Yeah, I saw him early in the season and he he didn't make it out of the second inning because he had no command. I think he walked three guys, but he was he topped a hundred. I don't know if it was six or eight times in in a very short stint. Um, and I mean, it, it's an it's an incredible arm. I mean, he just hasn't pitched a whole lot. You know, I mean that that's the thing. I mean, he's pitched. In two years of pro ball, I think it's what twenty innings before the fall league because he's had some injuries. And you know, he was one of my my most intriguing guys from the the twenty twenty draft, or I'm sorry, twenty twenty one draft, where he'd gone to to Waynesburg, which was I will admit a college I had never heard of before, and got crushed his first two years there. And then he got diagnosed with um, diabetes, and they were able to handle that and get his diet under control, and he got a lot stronger. And he pitched well, although his senior year was the pandemic year. So he went as a graduate transfer to Gardner Webb um, and lit it up. You know, wound up being a third round pick. And you know, I think with him, it's going to be command. Um, you know, he didn't throw a ton of strikes at, in four years at Waynesburg. He did at Gardner Webb, and, and like I said, he's barely pitched in the fall league. And and now we're just getting a you know a look at him you know, a few innings, but, uh, he is, I think one of the more intriguing, like it's interesting. I didn't get to see, I don't think I got to see Ryan Cusick pitch Sam. If I did, he, it didn't stand out, but I saw JT Ginn and JT Ginn was a sinker slider guy. He wasn't the mid nineties guy. I saw as an amateur or as a freshman at Mississippi state. And while they have some bigger name arms, they sent some, you know, first round picks, former first round picks, to Arizona, I think Mason Miller might have more upside than either Ginn or Kuzik if he can if he can throw consistent strikes. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I may have gotten lucky last night. I mean, he didn't walk anybody last night over three innings. And again, three innings isn't a large start, but for somebody with control issues, it was promising to see him throw so many strikes. Thirty-four of his forty-nine pitches were in the zone. Um, this is his second walkless start so far in the fall. He also had another one. He needs me not to come anymore, I guess. I I guess I saw four of his walks then, huh? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it it certainly seems like it. Um, It's it's a promising sign. I mean, we'll we'll see how it's going to go. Hard throwers, you're always concerned about, do they know where it's going? Looked in command last night, but again, it's it's a small sample. Jim mentioned uh, Joey Wentz, who's been, I think, unarguably the best pitcher in fall league to this point. 12 scoreless innings, two hits, four walks, 14 strikeouts. Either of you guys happen to know the other pitcher in the fall league who has pitched at least 10 innings and not given up a run yet? Is it Bailey Horn? It is Bailey Horn. There we go. Which is interesting because he's walked six and only struck out six in 10 innings. Yep. I question whether to bring this up uh, at all because I did want to move on to the uh, the hitter of the week in the fall league, but just based on the fact that his full name is Bailey Christian Tant Horn, I wanted to go ahead and, and bring it up. He was an interesting guy at Auburn coming out of the the pandemic draft. He was traded for I can't remember the Cubs have traded so many relievers the last couple of years. White Sox drafted him. I think they traded him for Tapera in twenty twenty one, and and Bailey Horn started throwing harder toward the end of the season. It was mid nineties, and he's got a pretty good slider. And you could see he, he could be. We talk about sixty plus percent of these guys make it to the big leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Bailey Horn pitching in the Cubs bullpen at some point next year because he's, he's really come on late in 2022. All right, let's finally do move along to the the hitter of the week uh, in the Arizona Fall League. I, another, like uh, Bailey Horn, another fifth-round pick in the shortened 2020 draft, and that would be Zach Britton of uh, the Blue Jays, who last week had four straight multi-hit games, which gave him uh, – he had five total, but four contained in last week where he was honored as the um, – hitter of the week in the fall league 16 for 32 overall uh which if i'm not mistaken is a 500 average 553 on base 750 slugging 1.303 ops uh guy who is in one of your orgs sam i don't, not a top 30 guy is he he is not no in talking to him briefly just talking to him yesterday he is a catcher he even said when I talked to him, like, what has this transition been like? Because now he's an outfielder in the fall league, and that's one of the things the Blue Jays want him to work on in the AFL. Um, but he's like, I'm a natural catcher, as if, you know, when you're four years old, you're handed a <laughs> catcher's mitt and told, like, oh, you're going to be catching the rest of your life. But anyway, um, 
I thought that was interesting because one of the things he said, like, I'm usually clued in more offensively when I am catching because I'm just so used to seeing pitches. And in the outfield, you have a lot more time to think. But one thing it does is it also is less taxing physically. So I wonder how much that is playing into his hot fall league. Uh, you know, you're looking at, at his numbers right now. Uh, he's got five straight multi-hit games. Uh, that's going to win you the player of the week, obviously, in the AFL easily. Uh, so I wonder how much that's having to do with this. He's mostly been an OBP guy to this point, his best strength, which makes a lot of sense for a catcher. Again, if you're seeing a lot of pitches, is taking walks and, and getting on base, as he did this year at high A and double A. Power's not a huge strength of his. He only has one homer in 10 games so far in the fall league. and it, I think he barely reached double digits uh, this year in the Jays system. But, you know, maybe this is a sign that he should go full-time to the outfield, take, you know, the less taxing route on his knees and – Offensive results could fall. Yeah, the, the, the tough part with Zach Britton is where exactly is he going to profile? He's another one of my former draft guys from Louisville. He was actually – he kind of shared catching duties as a freshman in 2018. And then Henry Davis, who we talked about earlier, wound up becoming the number one overall pick, wound up taking the job away from him, and he wound up going to the outfield. And, you know, the, the problem – like if you're trying to profile him out as a big leaguer – I think he's got to catch some because I think it's a lot of 40s and 45s and maybe 50s if you, you give him some 50s if you like him. But there really isn't that standout tool, especially to profile on an outfield corner. So I think, you know, he's a kind of a fringy catcher. The arm is more accurate than strong. You know, like you said, it's not big time power. He, 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 He's more of an on-base guy than a hit guy or a power guy. But, you know, give him credit. He's having a great fall league. All right, guys. Uh, let's shift our focus here to uh, something going on in the fall league that is pretty interesting. And uh, I don't know how much attention it's drawn, but uh, this was tested out in the minor leagues a little bit this year. Um, and they're testing out further in the Arizona Fall League, and that is the ABS challenge system automatic balls and strikes uh hawkeye system uh we mentioned Statcast being in salt river uh that also uh allows them to use that technology to call balls and strikes <clears throat> last year they went with the full automated system uh tested it out uh allowing uh the balls and strikes to be called automatically this year what they're doing is um having the Umpires called balls and strikes, but there's a challenge system in place where each team gets three challenges uh, per game, start with three each, and the hitter, pitcher, and catcher uh, have license to challenge uh, any pitch, and uh, if the challenge is uh, successful, then the team keeps that challenge for use uh, later in the game, and if it is unsuccessful... Uh, they lose the challenge and are uh, razzed heartily by the opposing dugout from what we've heard. Um, we, Jonathan uh, talked to quite a few players about this, and they seem to, I mean, of, of all the players he talked to, I believe it was unanimous that they they all seem to like it. Uh, kind of curious what you guys think. You know what's cool, and I don't know if Sam got to see any of this at at Salt River, um, but the game, I, I don't know, I went to, it seems like I went to three or four games there the first week. And what I liked about it was it was quick and painless. It wasn't like the NFL or the NBA where, you know, you're sitting there for three, four minutes, sometimes wondering what's going on. Why can't they make a decision? It's pretty quick. Guy taps his head. They pop it up on the scoreboard. They see where the pitch was. And then you move on. Like, I don't even think it takes 30 seconds uh, when it's, uh, you know, when it's running efficiently and it's, uh, it's good. And it's interesting because like you pointed out, you basically get three strikes in terms of you, you get three failed challenges. So you could challenge, if you kept getting right, you could challenge, you know, an infinite number of pitches. And I did notice toward the end of my week, the first week when I was there, teams were more aggressive about using the challenges late. If it was a close game and it's the eighth or ninth inning and you've got multiple challenges left, and it's a close pitch. Why not use it? You, you might as well. So there, there's even a little like they, they were getting into the strategy of it pretty quick. Um, I, I thought it was great. Um, it was I, I'm not one of these people. I don't know how you guys feel 
where like, oh, we've got to have the human element in the game. Well, let's just get the calls right. Um, but for the people who want the human element, this isn't just Hawkeye calling every pitch and telling the umpire, you know, relaying it to the umpire. Um, this allows the umpires to call the pitches, but allows people to quickly challenge them if they want. It, it'd be great. I mean, it's funny. I will say watching some of these calls in the playoff games, I've been like, I'll bet you some of these hitters and pitchers would like to have challenges at the big league level too. Yeah, it really does feel like that perfect compromise of, you know, we, we've seen ABS being used in the past and everybody's like, oh, this is going to eliminate part of the game. And everybody's like, oh, it's the future. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be. And this is a good step back, which still allows for human calls, but, uh, you know, allows for that challenge system and getting the calls right. One of my favorite things, watching clips of this, whether it's from the AFL or from the FSO, or even, you know, there was a game in Charlotte this year that used uh, the system, the challenge system, is guys want to complain and then they realize that they have a challenge and then they quickly tap their head. And they're like, oh, we can we can do this. And then it brings in, uh, you know, the tennis aspect of it. Hawkeye is also used in tennis where plays are challenged. And then there's like an audience call and response where people start clapping. In the fall league where there aren't the biggest of crowds, it's been more the, like you said, Jason, like the opposite dugouts getting involved and razzing each other for a good call, bad call situation, what have you. Um, but yeah, I, I, this really feels like a version that can please all sides, both fans who want the calls right, umpires who want to still be involved, players who want to have some say, um, whether they think a call was correct or not. Obviously, there was a moment that went viral over the, the past couple of days with Jason Dominguez um, getting a call overturned. And you get to see it on the big screen too. This is something that, it's not just like the umpire gets it in his ear. You get to see it on the screen where it was in the strike zone or not in the strike zone. Um, and everybody gets to participate in that. So I think it's it's just a nice wrinkle in the game in a kind of a way the game can, can involve, evolve, I should say, without going completely to one end. Do we have any idea why the Jason Dominguez thing went viral? I mean, I know John Boy posted it, but it was like, weeks after it happened and in fact when when jason when you told me about it i think you told me i was at the game you called like, the game yeah i was broadcasting <laughs> the game and i was like yeah i guess i don't remember it being that big a deal but i don't i don't know why it went viral 10 days after after it happened but it but it is pretty cool and like i said it's quick and painless and everybody kind of get kind of gets excited um uh you know and it's inter- what's interesting is of all the ones i saw most of the pitches were pretty close. It wasn't like there was a ball that was like, you know, a foot off the plate. The guy called a strike somehow. It was, you know, pitches that may or may not have clipped the the corners or, or top or bottom of the strike zone. Um, so it was, it, it, it wasn't even, there weren't even that many, some got overturned. I want to say most of the ones I saw, I feel like got overturned, but they weren't egregiously bad calls. And to answer your question of why it went viral, I think it was just the cinematography of it. Like the, the clip itself was just, it was very clear. You could see Jason Dominguez very well. And then it panned very well to the to the scoreboard, again, showing you exactly where the call was missed. I think it just hit at the right time. I don't, I don't know why it took two weeks for that to happen, but I think so many people were drawn to that clip just because they hadn't seen that actual screen part of it and the evidence that gets shown stadium-wide. Uh, and Jim, as far as the accuracy goes or the success rate of challenges, um, entering the final game at Salt River, we didn't get data uh, for that final game, but heading into the final game, there had been 15 games with the system in place, and there had been an average of 4.4 challenges per game, uh, 2.47 by hitters, 1.93 by either the pitcher or the catcher. Uh, a third of the challenges had been successful, and hitters huh. uh, had been successful at a 35% rate, pitchers and catchers 31, and all those numbers were uh, down from what we saw uh, in single A and triple A during the 2022 season where uh, there were 6.4 challenges per game. And uh, in single A, the 359 single A games, player challenges were correct 43.8% of the time. Um, and at triple A, 91 games, 48.3% success rate. So, uh, you know, nearly half and half. And I think goes to show that, uh, you know, these are, these are all on, obviously close calls. So generally speaking, uh, umpires doing a pretty good job out there. 
All right, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to someone else who's out at the Arizona Fall League. That is Chicago Cubs first base prospect, Matt Mervis. That's coming Mash up next. Mervis. On- Mash Mervis. Mash Mervis. Excuse me, Mash Mervis. Coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo, closing in on the end of my Arizona Fall League run. I'm in Mesa, and I'm pleased to welcome into the podcast Cubs first baseman Matt Mervis. Matt, thank you so much for taking some time. Thanks for having me on. So let's start with right here. You know, what is what has this experience been like for you, being able to you know extend your season a little bit and and spend some time in the Fall League? It's been fun. Uh, the last two years, I've, I've finished up my season in Arizona. Um, 2020, when I signed, we had instructs. Then last year. Um, you know, same thing, finished up at Instructs. So this year it's same place, a little bit different season. Um, but it's been a lot of fun meeting all these new guys from, from different organizations. Uh, we got a really fun locker room and, and obviously still playing baseball, so I'm happy. I want to ask a little bit about because based on the year you had, you wouldn't necessarily look like the sort of prototypical fall league player. You had played a full season. You had a really good season. You got to AAA. You know, was there any part of you that was like, a little tired, like, you know, do, you know, but at the same time, excited to come out here and, and get some more work in. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, I, I was a little tired towards the end of the year, and it's just because I haven't played a season like this before. Um, you know, coming from college, it's a little more spread out. And then last year, I only played about 70-something games, I think. So um, I played almost twice as many, if not twice as many at this point this year. But, um, you know, if I'm going to be in the big leagues and, and hopefully take the Cubs deep into the playoffs, then – this is the season I'm going to have to do, so um, just getting my body used to it. Was there anything in particular other than getting your body used to it that you were looking forward to to working on here uh, in, in terms of your game? Yeah, I mean, obviously our manager is Bobby Crosby, who's a big league infielder for a while. So, um, you know, working with him and just learning from, from his expertise and then just continuing to see more pitching. Um, you know, just more at-bats, the more pitchers I see, especially more lefties I see, the the more comfortable I'm going to get. So just keep working on that stuff. I want to sort of go back a little bit because I think you're a, a great example of how there are different paths to get to the place that everyone wants to get to. You you did not take the the typical path. So, I, I, Ken, I want to go back to 2020, which was just terrible all around because of the pandemic. But for college players looking to come out of the draft, it, it kind of left you with a tough decision to make. Can you take me a little bit through the decision process? And you know, for people who are listening, like, no, you know, you're at Duke. You didn't get drafted because it's only a five-round draft. And you decided to to start your pro career and sign. So take me a little through that decision-making process as opposed to, say, going back to Duke and showing what you could do over a full year. Yeah, just in my head, I was – first of all, I was ready to play, I think. Um, you know, it took me some time to develop in college and get the at-bats that I needed, but – uh, I think after I had a, a pretty good junior year and then a really good summer in Cape Cod. So, um, you know, that that really gave me some confidence in knowing that I could hit in, in professional baseball. And uh, that, that was a, a pretty big driving factor, just knowing that I was ready to, to take the next step. And other than that, I would have been a fifth-year senior, so even less leverage in the draft and older, obviously. So um, for me, it was an easier decision, just, you know, Ready to get started, new change of scenery, all that stuff. You're also a guy who spent the first chunk of your college career on the mound before sort of committing to doing to, to doing this. You know, was that was that something that sort of came in conversation with the coaching staff? Was it something you decided was best for you? How did how did you arrive at that decision? Um, you know, I pitched early in my career because it got me on the field, and you know, I just didn't get the at bats that I wanted and and needed, so I, I had to find a way onto the field. So. Um, 
you know, like you said, the first two years, I barely got any at-bats. I pitched mostly, and then I think the best thing that ever happened to me was I got hurt at the end of my sophomore year. I hurt my elbow. So I went to Summer Bowl, and I was a DH for 75 games or something like that and got the at-bats I wanted, and that really helped my development. And then, you know, from there, I've always seen myself as a hitter, and I mentioned confidence earlier. That really gave me some confidence and, and reassurance, reassurance that, you know, I can do this. So... The pitching got me on the field, but I'm always, I've always been a hitter. So you don't stand there at first base and be like, I, I could take an inning. <laughs> uh, no, I don't really miss it. Uh, it. How much did you have to rely on that sort of well of confidence that you had? Because you're, you're, you're 2021. You mentioned you didn't play a ton of games. You probably, I'm sure you didn't produce the way you know you're capable of and how you did this year. How, how did you push through? You know, everyone knows you have to deal with adversity in this game, but... That was a very healthy dose of adversity I had to, to deal with in 2021. How how did you work through that? Yeah, it was a few months of adversity in a row. Um, you know, there were obviously bright spots here and there, but not many. Um, so just, you know, falling back on my my support system, my parents and my agent, and, you know, people that have always been there for me and supported me. And, and then other than that, just keep working. Just, you know, show up every day with a good attitude, ready to hit, ready to work, um, you know, Everyone at some point in the year knows it's going to click, and it, it just never clicked for me last year. And, you know, maybe that happens to, to people and you just don't realize it. Guys have down years or whatever. It's tough to have a down year in your first year. Um, that shook my confidence a little bit. But at the same time, you know, this is what I committed to doing. I, I know I'm a hitter. I chose to be a hitter instead of a two-way. So, um, you know, just falling back on that and saying, you know, wake up the next day and, and go back to work. I was going to say, did, was there any, like – did you have to fight against any sense of urgency as a guy who wasn't drafted and you know knew you probably knew you had to come in and improve yourself at every level as opposed to you know a first rounder who gets you know maybe more opportunities and and yes plenty of guys have complete down years and then come back and maybe not do what you did and we'll get to that in a minute but like did did you feel any of that sense of like man like I know I'm I, I'm not going to get a million chances here I think I probably put more pressure on myself than the Cubs did um, you know, they've been really supportive since I signed and they never once mentioned last year, like, you know, you got to pick it up or you're in danger or anything like that. They, they always just let me play and obviously let me figure it out with their support. Um, but yeah, I, I put some pressure on myself knowing that I, I'm an older guy. I signed as a free agent. There's not as much money invested in me. So, um, yeah, I mean, the thoughts crept in once in a while, but like I said, just getting back to work really, really helped me keep them out. So then I guess the big question is, what happened in 2022? Um, I'm sure you drew up like a better year, but I can't imagine that you would have ever predicted, what, three levels, 36 bombs, 119 runs batter, whatever it, whatever it ended up being. You know, I guess let's just start with like, what was it right out of the gate? They're like, all right, I feel different now. Um, not right out of the gate. It took me probably 10 games 12 games to start feeling good and then once I did I still remember it was a it was a left on left curveball that I hit well to right center and after that swing I was like all right I'm back like I, I didn't feel that all of last year um, and I knew once I found that swing and and was able to just you know focus on the pitch instead of trying to hit it a certain way which is what I did last year really mechanical this year I found that feeling and I was able to keep it throughout the whole year um, you know, I just want to be simple when I'm hitting, be short to the ball and be, you know, obviously I can hit the ball hard without over swinging. So um, just committing to, to making good contact instead of trying to hit for power and, and the power will come naturally. That can be a tough thing, I would imagine, when, you, when, you're, when you're a big, strong guy and people are expecting power. I mean, that's why you're in the organization to not to know, like, I don't actually have to sell out for that. It's going to come if I do things right and I'm going to be the hitter that you showed that you were this year. Right. Everyone always says you don't hit home runs when you try to hit home runs. So, you know, I try to hit hard line drives, um, you know, gap to gap mostly. And it turned into turned into some pull this year for the most part. But, you know, if I can cover whatever pitch is thrown and still pull it hard, then no reason to change that for me. But, um, yeah, I, if I sell out for home runs and my swing gets long and I miss or I hit pop ups and stuff like that. So just try to be simple. Um, be consistent, and if I hit a, a hard line drive at a 25-degree launch instead of a 15, then maybe it's a home run.
I would imagine that you had some hope that you could earn a promotion over the course of 2022. Uh, two came, you know, you finished in, in AAA. Uh, what were the differences in levels you saw? And were you surprised, you know, that that you not only got to AA, but excelled so much that you, you got to finish the year, you know, knocking on the big league door, so to speak? Uh, the main difference I saw between high A and AA was just the quality of bullpen arms, I think. Um, you know, there were some good starters in high A, good starters in double A, but once we got in the bullpen in high A, I felt really comfortable. Um, and then my first series again in double A was against, uh, Chattanooga and the Reds just pump out guys that throw gas with, with nasty sliders. So, um, you know, I got a good taste of that right away and, and knew that I would have to make a little adjustment once we got into the bullpens. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I didn't have to adjust too much. I don't think maybe shrink the strike zone a little bit because guys have a little bit better command. But that really came more in AAA where, um, you know, guys can throw a changeup, a ball off the plate, and then if you swing at it, they'll throw a changeup, two balls off the plate. So that's when I really had to swing less. Um, you know, my walk rate went up, my strikeout rate went down because I think I chased less and, and knew that I could – the umpires are good too. So I knew that I could take the changeup, the first changeup, a ball off the plate, and then they don't have the ability to throw that change up se uh, second ball off the plate. So, um, you know, the quality, obviously, obviously, guys, there's a lot of former big leaguers in AAA and, and guys that are going to be in the big league. So the quality of pitching is is better than AA, but also um, the ability to pitch and to locate. Um, and no, I wasn't surprised. <laughs> good. Good answer. Uh, we talked a little bit about this the other day about how, you know, you, you might have the opportunity in spring training to compete for a big league job, which is why you do this in the first place. Maybe the, the struggles that you had and then trying to do too much, you kind of have learned that lesson, but you know, how do you go into spring training, you know, not trying to impress people too much when that big prize is at stake? I'm going to keep the, the same mindset I did this year. Um, it's out of my control. So I'm going to wake up every day and try to have a good game and play hard and, um, you know, if I do that and fulfill my goals, then the numbers will, will reflect that and, and hopefully it'll merit a promotion. But, um, you know, I can't come in here and, and focus on impressing people and get out of my game. So I'm just going to take it day by day and, and hopefully play well and, and earn a spot. You were rewarded by the organization as their minor league player of the year. The award's named after Buck O'Neill. Uh, I saw you tweet out how much of an honor it was. Uh, again, not much of a surprise given the year that you had, uh, but what did it mean that, you know, the organization had noticed and recognized you for it? It means a lot. Um, like I said earlier, I was a, a free agent. There's not a lot invested in me. Um, at least there wasn't from the beginning. Um, and so for them to recognize me and, and acknowledge the year that I had, it, it means a lot to me. Um, you know, I, I chose to sign with the Cubs. I was a free agent. I had other offers and this is the place that I wanted to be. So it means a lot that they're, they're recognizing me and, and awarding me with that. Now we've spent most of this time talking about your hitting. I know that you want to be a complete player. I've seen you taking ground balls on the left side of the infield. Now Cubs nation, he's, he's not trying to be a shortstop. Uh, I, I tried to get him to be, but that didn't work, but just, you know, what are you trying to accomplish there? You know, you used to play some third base. I know you're, you're going to be a first baseman, you know, in the big leagues. But, you know, how does that help your game at first? Uh, it's mostly just for footwork and, and staying light on my feet. Uh, you know, if you take ground balls at first base all the time with the big glove and you're, you're kind of cornered on the field, your feet get a little bit lazy, you get a little bit heavy, um, a little less athletic. So just moving back over to shortstop helps me read hops a little bit better, you know, little different angle off the bat um you got to be athletic to work through a ball over there and, and get your feet going towards first base so and and i think using the smaller glove um you can almost get away with some lazy feet at first with the huge glove and get lucky and the ball will, will go into the pocket but it's short um yeah i'm using i was using tyler harbin's glove which i think was 11 and a half 11 three quarters maybe it's way smaller than my glove so um a little bit of hand-eye coordination some footwork and, and just reading hops I want to ask one more thing about the fall league. You know, they experiment with a lot of different rules, and this year they started implementing the uh, the ball strike challenge system. What what's been your experience with that, and what do you what do you think about that that idea? 
I, I, I haven't challenged anything yet. Uh, I should have yesterday. I, I wasn't sure if we had a challenge left. Um, I like it so far. I think three challenges for each team is a good amount. And if you get it right, you get that challenge back. So, um, you know, if a, if a big call is made, an impactful call is made, then I think the player should have the ability to challenge it, whether it's a strikeout or, or a hitter that wants another chance on a, on a missed strike call. So, um, you know, we've had a couple overturned and a couple upheld, and, and the system looks like it's pretty accurate to me, so I'm excited to see it. I think it, you know, it seems like it might be like a middle ground, right? Because the just, you know, the previous years here, I think last year they just used the ABS entirely, and that was the that was what was calling balls and strikes at Salt River. Uh, this is, seems a little bit of a, a hybrid. There's still some human element, including the human element of you guys needing to either decide to challenge or, or even knowing how many challenges you have. Right, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, but I, I like it. I, I think we need the human umpire behind the plate. Um, you know, there, there's, I'm not a catcher, obviously, but there's an art to framing and pitch calling and all that stuff. And I think the, they're human too, so they're going to make mistakes, and we all acknowledge that. But I think umpires are part of the game. And if we can, you know, I, I talked to some guys who were in the PCL this year. Uh, doing some, I guess all the triple A guys did both leagues, but I know some talked about how it it actually helped them with the strike zone because they don't get fooled by by catchers as much anymore, and, and they're more focused on the pitch. So um, I think it's helping everybody involved. And last question for you, because we've noticed as uh, as you've risen up the ranks, you know, Cubs Nation gets pretty excited. Your fans have a certain name. Um, what do you think about your fans being known as Merverts? Uh, uh, my parents don't like that one too much. Um, you know, Mash Mervis, we're okay with. Everyone go buy a t-shirt. Merverts, we're not, as, we're not as high on. That's fair. All right, Mash. Cubs Nation, listen, it's Mash. All right, Matt, thanks very much. Uh, good luck the rest of the Fall League. Looking forward to seeing spring training. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with much more on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. And thanks very much to Matt slash Mash Mervis for joining us on the podcast today. Let's turn our attention to the postseason, to the World Series. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got a few day gap here where we're waiting for the World Series to start. We will be keeping our eye on some rookies. Jim, you did the kind of updated version of how they were built uh, going into the postseason. Each year we take a look at how the teams, all postseason teams were built, how they constructed their rosters using the draft, free agency, international market. And then we kind of fine tune that when we get to the world series and just compare those two teams. And this year's matchup is pretty interesting because uh, there's a pretty big uh, disparity in, in how these teams went about uh, building their their rosters. Yeah, I, I think every year when we do this story, whoever writes the intro to the to the beginning of the postseason story, I think it might have been you, Sam. Uh, I, I think we all delve into the like. There's more than one way to build a winner, which is which is always <laughs> true. Um, and I, I for this story, I used it as the closing graph, not the intro graph. But uh, um, if you go back and look at the previous World Series winners, the last two, the Braves and the Dodgers, were built significantly through the draft. But then you look at the 2019 Nationals, which had a bunch of free agents, and the 2018 Red Sox had the vast majority of, of their best players acquired via trade. Obviously, you're built in a variety of ways. Um, and, you know, in this year's team, it, it, two teams, the Astros and the Phillies, it was really a stark cost, contrast. The Astros were the most homegrown team in terms of number of players, in terms of wins above replacement. Um, coming into the playoffs, they, you know, hit on top five overall picks like Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker. They found Jeremy Pena in the third round. They stole Chaz McCormick in the 21st round. And even more so than the draft, they've, they, they, they're dom they dominated the international market more than any of the playoff teams. You know, we all know they got Jose Altuve for $15,000, but they got Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, Jose Arquiti, and Framber Valdez 
for a combined $140,000 on the international market. So they've been very, very heavy uh, in terms of homegrown talent. And then if you look at the Phillies, it's really a sharp contrast. Almost all their best players have come via trades or free agency. They traded for JT Real Muto and and signed Bryce Harper as a free agent in the same month. They paid a a nine-figure contract to Zach Wheeler. They signed Kyle Schwarber as a free agent. They plugged some holes at the trade deadline this year with Brandon Marsh and David Robertson and Noah Syndergaard. So they really are a, a stark contrast. Now, the quick flip side of that is the Astros, for all the homegrown talent the Astros have, their two best players this year were Jordan Alvarez and Justin Verlander, who both came in trades. And while the Phillies have gone outside the organization to bring in most of their better players, they did hit, and if you just go look at the 2014 draft, they got Aaron Nolan in the first round, Reese Hoskins in the fifth round, and they got two of their better arms, even though they've had not as much success internationally as other organizations. They got Sir Anthony Dominguez and Ranger Suarez uh, for 25000 each more than a decade ago. So, um, But it, if, you're, if you're looking at how these teams were built, it, it's a homegrown team versus an imported club, and we'll, we'll see who, who comes out victorious. I should, I guess, I should ask you guys. I, I didn't plan on doing this, but uh, who will come out victorious, and in and in how many games? I will say the Astros in five. Oh, Jim stole it! Oh, <laughs> I knew I should have oh, said so it first. It. The the only reason why, and you hate predicting sweeps, so I'm not going to predict a sweep. But the astronauts have been such a juggernaut. They haven't lost a game yet. I mean, it doesn't get much more juggernaut than that in the playoffs. Did you just call them the astronauts? Astronauts? You did. Did I? Yeah, yeah, you combine, combine them from the juggernaut. Astro Juggernaut into the Astronauts. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a new thing. If you want to print the shirts, you should go, yeah. go right on ahead. Uh, just give me some sort of credit. But yeah, I mean, they have been a juggernaut. The Astros have uh, throughout the series or throughout the multiple series that they've gone through so far. I didn't think they were going to sweep the Yankees, even though they were definitely a good matchup for the Yankees. Um, you know, there's, there might be some Harper Schwarber magic. Hoskins magic in the next round and and maybe Zach Wheeler gets in a really, really good start and the Phillies steal one. But again, I think that's a decent amount of magic there though. Yeah. Enough things have to hit for the Phillies to get two wins. I think. So so what's your pick, Jason? What do you, what do you have? I don't know. After, after uh, listening to uh, Sam rattle off all that potential magic, I'll, I'll be the, I'll, I'll be in the minority here and I'll, I'll go with the Phillies in seven. Wow. You guys are, You're just you pandering guys to the Philadelphia it. audience. I, yep. I, the only way I could see the Phillies winning it really is if they get like just great starts out of Wheeler and Nola. Yeah. Like, yeah. And if like Sir Anthony Dominguez throws like 10 innings. <laughs> There's a lot of ifs. So, yeah. But, but I mean, hats off to the Phillies. Great season. But uh, well, I'm going to ask you guys a question now. I, I, it's time for a quick quiz, the Danny Gentili uh, quick quiz of the week. Um, I'm working on the Pipeline newsletter. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. I think the newsletter will be out Wednesday. And I'm co-opting one of my stories I used to do annually, but we didn't do last year. So I'm using it in the, in the newsletter, which is ranking the World Series participants as prospects, how much hype they had coming to the big leagues. And I'm not going to have you, there are 20 players who were ranked on the MLB.com top 100 at some point. Uh, before they got to the big leagues. And I'm not asking you to name all 20, but six of them ranked in the top 10. And we're going to see who can name the most. I am flipping a coin. Jason, you get to go first. Name a World Series participant who is a top 10 prospect. I will go uh, with the obvious, and I'll go with Bryce Harper. He is the obvious, and I think he had the most hype, although we never ranked him number one. Um, yeah, he was number two. Although I was, was at Baseball America, yeah, I, I was at Baseball America, and we ranked him number one when I was at Baseball America. That was my pre MLB.com days. But yes, Bryce Harper, I think, had the most hype, even though he is not the only, he's not the guy who ranked number one. But okay, Sam, you're up. Top ten prospect World Series participant. Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman was number one at midseason 2016. Okay, Jason. I'm going to go way back. I don't know if this counts as way back, but uh, I believe Zach Wheeler was a top 10 prospect. Zach Wheeler was a top 10 prospect. I have him as the 
fifth most prospect hyped World Series participant when he got to the big leagues. It's a good one. Sam, you're back up. You guys are three for three. Um, Justin Verlander. Very good. He, I have him third on my list. Harper, Brigman, Verlander, one, two, three. Zach Wheeler, five. There are two remaining. Jason? Uh, did Schwarber ever make it into the top 10? Is that is that a guess? It is a guess. It is. It's, it's a, a very good guess. guess. He, he had the huge... Uh, he was MVP of the Futures game and was tearing up the minors. He was number seven on our midseason 2015 list. So, Sam, to to tie Jason, you have to come up with the sixth top ten prospect participating in the World Series. Mm, uh, oh, I've got it. I, I, Pressure's on, Sam. Wow. Going for intimidation. I'm between two right now. Well, it's uh, tough because there's a, there, there are three guys who don't make the cut who ranked 11th, 13th, and 15th. Uh, oh, maybe I don't have it then. Um, remembering how good of a pitching prospect he was, I'm going to say Noah Syndergaard. Very good, Sam. Very impressive. He he was number ten. So that those are your top six. Is was that Tucker who you thought one it was? of the uh, eleven, thirteen, or fifteen? Tucker's number seven on my list. Tucker Jordan Alvarez got uh, market corrected up to number eleven, and Nick Castellanos back in the day was number fifteen. So those are another your, futures game MVP. There you go. You're right. Um, so there, there, there you have it, but, uh, you guys, you guys very good six for six identifying the former top 10 overall prospects. All right. Uh, let's go to our number one all time, uh, mailbag question submitter, Stevie D Stevie D Alasio. Uh, he supplies the question for this week. He asks which prospects in the Arizona fall league have the best chance to make their teams opening day roster next year. And I, I think we need to disqualify Joey Wentz since he pitched <laughs> yes. so well in the big leagues in September and is never going to give up around the fall league. So I feel like Joey Wentz is so obvious that we'll just acknowledge him and we have to pick somebody else. Does that seem fair? I think that's fair. Uh, exactly what I was going to say. So yes, totally fair. Okay, Sam, I'll, I'll defer to you if you want first pick of, of who's going to make an opening day roster. Uh, it's like a part of me wants to stay with the Cardinals here and not go Connor Thomas. Cause again, I, I think he just has so much to prove coming off triple a last year, but I'm going to go with Ryan Lutis. It's not a very sexy name. He's a bullpen arm, um, but it is a fun local You, you can take a hitter too, if you want, you don't have to go pitcher. No, I know. I know. Okay. I, but he's the one that jumped out when I was going through stuff before. And maybe, maybe you'll say one gem that I'm completely forgetting here. Um, but he was just somebody who really stood out to me as somebody who could make that jump. Um, signed out of Washington University, so he is a local St. Louis guy. Has a ton of size at six foot five. A good fastball, a good slider. They pushed him up three levels this year um, to AAA Memphis at the end of the year. He had a six three three ERA there, um, but didn't end the year with 98 strikeouts and 86 in the third innings. He's basically here just to get a little bit extra experience. And I think to just end on a brighter note after getting roughed up a bit at AAA, but climbing three levels is a big deal, getting that fourth one. And his fastball slider are going to play. He can mix in a curveball, but he has been leaning more on the slider. Uh, just seems like one of those guys who, like the, the reason the Cardinals sent him here was for prospect finishing school. And if you want to look at somebody who isn't Connor Thomas, who again, I think they want to be a starter, but Lutis is a ready-made major league reliever right now, I think could make that jump. Yeah. If, if I'm going to say it's weird <laughs> to me, a guy who's obvious, but I don't necessarily think he's going to make it. Cause I still think service time considerations come into play. I, I think our, our interview guest, Matt Mervis is, is a good candidate though for the Cubs. They don't really have an obvious first baseman. He's an older guy. He spent six weeks in AAA, tore up that level. You know, he, he entered the year really, you know, he was a priority non-drafted free agent signing out of the 2020 draft and then didn't do well in 2021 at all. He was an older guy. I mean, he was really looking at, you know, if he didn't perform this year, I think his career was going to be in a lot of jeopardy. He started the year. People only remember this in high A. It's like an old guy in high A uh, before, you know, catching fire and, and, and keeping staying hot throughout the season. So I think Matt Mervis is a an obvious guy. I mean, we talked, I think before, I, I'm not even really sure why they sent him to the fall league because he's already faced double A competition and triple A competition. And he's handled them very well. He hit 36 homers this year. 
Um, but you know, he's continuing to perform in the fall league and, and, and he's not striking out. I mean, small sample size, it's hitters league, but he's got, you know, close to 40 plate appearances. He only struck out three times, which is pretty impressive. So, so he's one, but you, you got me thinking of relievers who I think are the easiest potentially pool to pick from because there's so many guys on pitching staffs. And I was thinking of a guy from one year organization, Sam, Alec Jacob. Um, oh with yeah. The, with yeah. the Padres, who's who's interesting. I mean, he was a West Coast Conference Pitcher of the Year at Gonzaga in, in 2021. But, you know, he's more of a deception, arm angle guy than a stuff guy. So he went in the 16th round. Um, and then, you know, he got to he got to AAA this year, and he's continuing to perform in the fall league. And I just think, I mean, he's I don't think he's going to be a closer – but he throws strikes. He has a changeup and a slider. He gets a lot of movement on him, and guys just don't square him up. And I could see Alec Jacob if if you know he throws strikes, you know, and has a good spring training. It's a different look. I could see him making an opening day roster too. Yeah, he's one of my favorite relief prospects in one of my organizations, just because he is so different. I mean, the velocity. You're talking about Connor Thomas and not being there. It's definitely not there with Alec Jacob, but. The breaking ball, the the changeup, especially the changeup, are just Bugs Bunny pitches that make guys look foolish over and over and over again. Um, and if you want to bring in somebody for a different look, if you've got somebody throwing hard, uh, and then all of a sudden you're you're bringing in a, an Alec Jacob that can really throw guys off in kind of a way that knuckleballer does. So I, I like that one a lot too, Jim. All right, thanks to Stevie D as often, and thanks to Matt Mervis for joining us on the. MLB Pipeline podcast today. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.